This is Car Expert. I think it's good to see Honda getting some fresh product in Australia because their model lineup is so much smaller here than it used to be. Driving the Model Y for the first time in my life, what I noticed massively was it actually has a decent ride. It's really good to see that you know Mitsubishi is putting out what we can expect from them because historically the company has just been really good at having models that last for like two decades. James Wong, hello to you. Hello, Mandy. And hello, William Stockford. Hello, Mandy. Guys, I won't be on the podcast next week. I will be off gallivanting in my um, 65 Beetle with my dad. I think I may have mentioned this in the past very briefly on the podcast. Um, the time has now come for <laughs> Speed Week. Um, if anyone is not, not aware of what um, Speed Week is, it's held at a salt lake in uh, South Australia and it's – it's on Lake Gairdner there, and it's near Lake Eyre. I'm sure you've probably heard of Lake Eyre before, right? Yeah, it's sort of just south of Lake Eyre, probably a good number of hours from it. And um, same deal, lots of fast cars go on the lake and just try and beat their own time, beat world records. So cars are doing, you know, five, 600-odd Ks an hour. Not just cars like motorbikes, homemade vehicles, streamliners. Like there's even a um, – Oh, I don't know my Ford Falcons very well. It might be like a BA Falcon um, that's done up as an old taxi and it's got like moon cap wheels on it. You may have seen photos from previous oh, years. Oh, yeah, I think I've heard of this thing before. Yeah, so that's going to be there. Um, there's an amazing lady, I think her name's Eva. She built a 1,000-horsepower streamliner that she's also going to race. Um, there's just amazing people there. Um, and uh, Dad sort of, you know, recently retired and he was getting a bit bored and I'm like, Dad, let's do something. Let's let's take the car. We restored together over like six years and, um, you know, it'd be a bit boring going in a modern car so we're, we're taking a, an ancient <laughs> classic car, 2,600 kilometres return um, just off the back of summer. Um, so it's interesting because I've been nervous all up to this point only a couple of days away from us leaving. We're leaving on Thursday. Um, I'm all excited now. I literally just cannot wait to get on the road. We're taking our time. We're doing like two hours a day um, and it gives us time to stop and look at things, take photos. Oh, by the way, I'm putting everything on social media. So um, speeds to media or hashtag Ernie Road Trip <laughs> if you guys want to follow along. Um, so, yeah, and, and also – if anyone's driven old cars, it can be quite taxing, um, no cruise control, you know, no power steering. Your concentration is just 100% t- like the whole time. Um, so it can take it out of you. So I figured two hours is probably long enough <laughs> per day. So it's going to be fun. It's going to be an exciting time. We're back, I think, uh, late March. So it's going to be a bit of a long journey. Um, but, yeah. So wait, how many days is this going to be over? Because two hours a day. Um, yeah, so we're getting to the lake on Monday. Yeah, so it starts, the event starts on Monday. We're getting to a place called Kimba, which is about two hours from the lake. Um, and it's apparently 165 k's of dirt road to the lake. The earlier you get there, the less corrugated the roads are. So we're getting there first thing on the first day. Do you have any places that you've like put on the map with pins being like, I want to see here and see what yeah. it's all about? Yeah, there's um, 
the, one, the first thing that comes to my mind because it's car related is the Land Rover on a pole. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, where's that? Um, it's somewhere in the middle of nowhere in South Australia. I feel like it's sort of just over the border from Victoria. Gotcha. Um, it's what else is there? Oh, there's like multiple car museums. You can go to the Portland Car Museum. There's one at the Bend Motorsport Park, I think. That's a really good one. I love the one at the Bend. They always is have that- something really cool in there. Yeah, last time I was there, they had uh, this is not a classic car enthusiast um, garage, but there was a a Bugatti Chiron a um, Porsche 918 Spider, and I think it was a McLaren P1 GTR. So there's oh collectively gosh. about five or six million dollars worth of metal in this like glass cabinet, which looks really cool. And they always swap out um, uh, cool classic Ferraris or like um, race cars and things like that. So there's always something new going on there. Oh, and wow. um, Emily Duggan works there, so you'll have to pop in and let her know. No way. Yeah, yeah. She works there um, doing like instructing and stuff with the team there. I bumped into her on the launch and she was like, I heard someone call my name and I was like, oh, hello. And she's, <laughs> she works at the racetrack now. So, um, oh yeah, I, I know you guys are friends. So, you should yeah. surprise her and drop in. <laughs> I totally should do that. There's some other really weird places too. Uh, there's a pinball museum. Did you know? I think it's in a place called Matoa. I think it's in Victoria. That's on the stop. There's a place called the Stick Shed. It's this gigantic shed that's sort of made out of sticks. <laughs> it was designed. I wouldn't to have store thought wheat. that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was designed to store wheat in like World War Two, and there weren't many that survived the war. And it's it quite incredible. You need to Google it because um, you, know, you think of poles holding up sheds, right? Yeah. There's like n- hundreds of these poles in this shed holding up the roof. And wow. it's, it's quite an incredible place. They hold weddings there and car shows and all sorts of stuff. I love that you're going to some very literal locations. A stick shed, which is a shed made of sticks, a Land Rover <laughs> on a pole, which is a Land Rover <laughs> on a pole, I presume. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's, it's all very basic stuff because we're literally in the middle of nowhere, some of these places, um, which also scares me at the same time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you are on the route between Melbourne and Adelaide, there's also that massive pink lake somewhere that I yes. drove past. Um, I didn't stop by it when I did my road trip in the Land Cruiser last year, but it's apparently massive. Yes. And there's like signs for it and everything. So given that you're giving yourself the time to actually go sightsee, maybe go and look at that as well because it's just off the main highway. Yeah, it is. I think I, I do remember reading about it and there was not far from there too, there was um, a sinkhole. Which wouldn't is surprise me. <laughs> There's a lot like, of random things out that way. Yeah, but it's really pretty. It's not like the sinkhole you think of like roads with sinkholes and stuff. It's, <laughs> it's like this massive hole in the ground, which is like a paradise inside. There's greenery and bird life and it's amazing. It's so – Australia is a wonderful, wonderful place. So, yeah. I look forward to your Instagram series. Thank you, Jay. <laughs> in, in other words, I'll um yeah, we'll we'll probably see each other next couple of weeks when I get back. Jack, quick, what what are you doing here? You're supposed to be in India. <laughs> yes, yeah, I know. I, I sounded so excited last week. I um I'm still in Australia. I'm still in Melbourne for now. Uh, my trip was unfortunately uh, delayed until mid May. So um I'm going to be around for a little bit longer. So yeah, I'm here doing the news. Third, third time's a charm. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Was, this, this is the second time it been, uh, has been delayed. So yeah, it should be expected crossed. now, I suppose, but mid-May, fingers crossed. Awesome stuff. All right, so let's get into news. The 2024 Hyundai Kona. Um, tell you what, if 
if I loved SUVs, I'd be seriously considering buying one of these. This looks great. Yeah, I think it looks pretty good too. So yeah, um, initial local details of the new Hyundai Kona have been released um, with the, uh, the range of different powertrains uh, more than before. Uh, the full lineup uh, lineup of the new Kona hasn't been detailed yet, um, but its current plan, uh, Hyundai's current plan, is to offer two trim levels of each powertrain. Um, this includes uh, two carryover engines, including the two-liter naturally aspirated uh, four-cylinder front-wheel drive and uh, the 1.6-liter turbocharged four-cylinder all-wheel drive. Now, this is where it gets exciting. There's also going to be a 1.6-liter petrol-electric hybrid for the first time in the Kona range, um, as well as to be expected, the electric versions being the standard range and ex- uh, sorry, standard range and extended range. So they're gonna, going to continue to offer two battery pack sizes in the Kona electric. Um, yes, as I mentioned, I just want to stress the fact that this is going to be the first time a Kona hybrid will be available. We missed out on the previous gen. And uh, there's going to be a, a sporty N-line package um, available across the petrol and hybrid ranges, um, uh, but there is not going to be an electric uh, electric N-line uh, in the Australian lineup, but it looks like there should be able to be an electric N-line in the European range, but we won't be getting that, unfortunately. Uh, now, petrol models of the new Kona are due in mid-2023, uh, whereas uh, hybrid and electric models are due in the fourth quarter of this year, just a little bit later on. But um, as you mentioned, Manny, it looks quite good and with the tweak styling and all that kind of fun stuff, different tech. Um, so what do you think about the new Kona? I'm quite excited for this car and I think that um, Hyundai Australia has done a great job at securing um, as much choice as they can for Australian customers. I know that the Korean brands, given their volume um, increases of late, have really struggled to get electrified options for our market. So to see the hybrid and both electric options returning is a plus. Um, We're also interested Jack, to see some of the um, confirmed features for our market. So uh, there's a quick list that is in this um, story that will be – there are things that are available on the range and then some things that are standard. So all versions are going to have active air flaps. Um, LED headlights are now going to be standard across the range. I know that a common complaint of the previous one was that they got these shitty halogen – can I say that? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> halogen, <laughs> halogen projector headlights on lower grades. Um, there's going to be a 12.3-inch touchscreen across the range, which also includes Hyundai's Blue Link connected services. So it means that the entire Kona range will have um, a telematic system and connected services, which should also mean that they all have embedded um, satellite navigation because at the moment both Hyundai and Kia don't offer the connected services without um, satellite navigation. Um, some other highlights include um, dual zone climate control across the range, driver status monitor, in-car camera available across on certain models in the range, and apparently that's a segment first. Um, other available features will be a shift by a wire selector that we've seen in some high-end Hyundai models, including some of the electric stuff, um, a front center airbag, blind spot view monitor, so that really cool camera feed into your instrument cluster. Um, 
surround view monitor, so 360 cameras, 19-inch LA wheels, uh, a wide glass sunroof, which I assume is their way of saying panoramic, uh, and an available power tailgate. So um, for those who haven't really been following um, the Kona stuff since the new one got revealed, um, it's it's going to grow quite a bit. So it's a much larger car and it's probably a lot closer to something like a Kia Seltos now than the current one, which is quite small. Um, so I imagine that with such a breadth of powertrain and trim options, um, we'll probably see like a really interesting uh, lineup available to Australian consumers. So I, I anticipate personally that we're going to see a ton of these things on the road, <laughs> given there's like five yeah. powertrain options and both hybrid and EV options. So if they're in good supply, we should see heaps of them. Um, and I hope that they are um, competitively priced relative to the segment because what we're seeing at the moment is a lot of cars are just jumping up in price with updates and um, new generations, sometimes without any updates at all if you look at BMW. But, um, yeah, so I'm really excited to give this thing a drive. Um, I've seen some of the coverage out of Korea and it looks really cool. So, um, yeah, super excited to see these start lobbying in Australia. I'm also excited to see uh, the Kona here because the current model is – smaller in the boot and smaller in the back seat than an i30 hatchback this one seems to be much closer to a kia seltos dimensionally and the seltos is one of the better packaged cars in this class um, and as james and jack mentioned a very wide range of powertrains here and i think it probably even looks better than the current kona to be honest as well um, and that 1.6 liter turbo is getting that uh, eight-speed automatic transmission isn't it that will address one of my key criticisms of the outgoing uh, 1.6 liter turbo Kona. So, yeah, looking forward to getting behind the wheel of this. Now, some Honda news, Jack. Uh, we've got a new Honda SUV coming. That's right, called the ZRV. It is finally confirmed for the Australian market after an extremely long time of just umming and ahhing and there's something coming, we don't know what the name is and da-da-da-da, but now it's finally confirmed. So, yeah, um, this new ZRV is coming to Australia in the middle of this year. And uh, it will rival, obviously, the likes of um, the Toyota RAV4 and also the Mazda CX-5. And um, in Australia, the ZRV will be available in four trim levels, um, including a top-spec hybrid version. Now, uh, the majority of the range will be powered by a familiar 1.5-litre turbocharged four-cylinder petrol engine, uh, whereas the hybrid uses a two-litre naturally aspirated four-cylinder engine uh, with two electric motors. Um, at this stage, it's unclear if the ZRV will be available, uh, will be front or all-wheel drive, but in Japan, both is available. So we don't really know what it's gonna, going to be at this stage. Another thing that's not confirmed is full pricing and specs, but that's going to be coming in the coming months as Honda's line for that. Um, we'd expect uh, the ZRV to launch uh, with fixed driveway pricing starting in the low to mid $40,000 range uh, with the flagship hybrid likely to approach 60 grand um, if you take into consideration the smaller hybrid um, HRVs uh, positioning. Are you looking forward to um, the ZRV guys? Um, now it's finally confirmed for the Australian market. Uh, yeah, I think as someone that's covered this story for a little while, um, it's been really interesting to see how this car has sort of come to come to be it sort of started off as an american version of the hrv um with a based on the civic platform with civic drivetrains but that they sort of said that the american version was going to be different to the global version which 
it's it's been a real head I wasn't going to say the word that I was going to say after cluster. that but yeah <laughs> yeah a bit of a, a bit of a cluster uh, um, because <laughs> Honda globally has said in some regions that'll be called the ZRV Austra- the Australian arm has been very very quiet about it um, and we've sort of seen this slow drip feed of information um, from the Japanese and European markets so I found it interesting that there's only going to be one hybrid option. I assume that's down to supply, given um, how popular I would imagine um, the hybrid would be and all of Honda's other hybrid models are subject to nine to 12-month wait times at the moment. But it was really good to see that Honda has made a move away from its current um, strategy of only offering one variant of each drivetrain <laughs> so mm-hmm. to see see a much more comprehensive lineup means that you know this car given its segmentation and sizing will probably appeal to a much wider demographic and given we don't know yet when the new crv is going to lob this is going to be their their golden child i would say because you know as classified as a medium suv this is going to be the car that puts honda against the top selling vehicles um in a, in Australia's largest vehicle segment because, you know, CX-5, RAV4, while they're not one and two on the sales charts like the Toyota Hilux and the um, Ford Ranger, the segment as a whole is actually by far our biggest segment. So what I'm interested to see is how they spec them because if you use the HRV as an example, that base X grade like misses out on a leather steering wheel, for example, and has a few other silly spec emissions that, you know, perhaps aren't the best calls if I was to give feedback to their product planning team. But given that they've got a nice widespread of variants now, we might see a better grade walk and hopefully it means that we'll see a better um, price walk as well so that, you know, it's not just a premium proposition that really limits its appeal to a wide demographic. So, I think it looks good. I think the Civic that it's based on drives fantastic, both in petrol and hybrid versions. I would hope that there would be some form of all-wheel drive option to cater to those who might want all-poor traction if they go on unsealed roads, for example. Um, And given how much choice something like a a CX-5 or a RAV4 offers, I think Honda really needs to consider having as much choice and a a very wide breadth of price points as well to make sure that they can cash in as much as possible because when some of its rivals are going through really hard supply times at the moment, it's it's a real opportunity there for Honda to claw back some volume. Mm. What do you reckon, Will? Do you think it will be a success for Honda? I think it's good to see Honda getting some fresh product in Australia because their model lineup is so much smaller here than it used to be. Um, and this really neatly plugs a gap because, you know, the current HRV is quite small and we know that the next CRV, whenever that does come, um, is going to be a bit larger than the current model. So this uh, just slots in there nice and neatly, but I'll be very, very interested to hear what the pricing is. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, now, this is an interesting story here, Will. Uh, Lamborghini have detailed its PHEV powertrain and, oh, my God, goodness it's definitely in supercar territory still sure is mandy now uh, the engine to be used in the successor to the ventador has been detailed as you just mentioned it's a uh, the brand's first hybrid uh, electrified vehicle and now uh, this uh, powertrain consists of a 6.5 liter v12 thankfully uh, that produces uh, 607 kilowatts of power and uh, 725 newton meters of torque 
Now, uh, this uh, V12 engine uh, sends uh, drive to the rear wheels only, and it also has a red line of 9,250 revs. Ooh. Screaming. <laughs> uh, in addition to this uh, V12 engine, there are three electric motors, and uh, they all have different outputs, and there are two at the two at the front, and then there's also one at the rear as part of the eight-speed uh, dual-clutch transmission. Now, total system output is where the fun really begins. It is 745 kilowatts or 1,000 horsepower. Now, um, in addition to all of this numbers and powertrain stuff, there's a 3.8 kilowatt hour lithium ion battery pack, which is extremely small, and it can be charged uh, in 30 minutes uh, using a 7 kilowatt, hour, a seven kilowatt um, wall box. So it's only just meant for not really meant for electric range. You won't be getting very far at all on electric <laughs> range. It's obviously meant for high performance output to really get the full experience of the V12 and the full 1,000 horsepower, really. <laughs> and now um, the Lamborghini CEO, Stefan Winkleman, has said uh, this new V12 will sound amazing. So that's what all we really know at this stage. Um, but kind of going off what this engine is going to be, and we don't know what the successor to the Aventador will be just yet. We do know a code name for uh, – it is called the, the LB744 at this stage. And we've also seen a, a fair few spied prototypes uh, that were captured uh, during testing. Now, uh, how does this V12 uh, FEV sound to you? I think it's just nice to see a V12 engine sticking around, seeing as so many companies have been announcing lately that they're discontinuing their V12s. And, and perhaps there's, there's no brand so entwined with uh, V12 engines as Lamborghini. I mean, they've been making them for decades. It's part of their heritage. So they've managed to find a way to bring a V12 into the electrified era. Now, we know that Lamborghini is introducing its first electric vehicles this decade, Um and look, this V12 might not ultimately have a very long shelf life in the grand scheme of things, but uh, it, there's some impressive numbers and uh, that's a big claim that he's made about the sound there. So let's <laughs> see. What about you, Jay? What do you reckon? Uh, I think it's great to see that Lamborghini has been able to find a way to preserve or extend the life of its combustion engine cars because like Will said, um, you know, big Big capacity engines and, and, you know, that engaging soundtrack is such a core part of Lamborghini ownership. So it's, it's good that they found a way to preserve that. I'm surprised it's taken them this long to do it though, given, you know, you look at something like the McLaren P1 or the LaFerrari from, I don't even know how many years ago. Now those hypercars are about 10 years old. And I guess that sort of previewed how some of these very high-end manufacturers can keep these screaming engines in um, their flagship performance heroes. Um, but I guess, uh, you know, it is only a matter of time before we start seeing some handover between combustion engine cars and full electric um, power, especially in these hyper car segments. But, you know, given we saw something out of Germany or Europe last week that synthetic fuels might prolong the life of combustion engine cars in Europe, um, that means we can maybe hold out some hope that we'll see um, some more some more time or you know some an extra lease on life for these for these really cool powertrains so excited to see what performance numbers something like this can pull because given the events it all can already do a sub three seconds zero to 100 I imagine that the immediate response of electric motors and extra torque is only going to make it faster so 
everything's going to be doing like two seconds or a hundred sprints oh. now. It's, it's yeah. not going to be fun anymore. You're going to be, no. <laughs> <laughs> you barely Yawn. press the throttle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, our last story, uh, Mitsubishi have announced they're going to be bringing 16 new cars in the next five years, Jack. Yes, and one is one that's very exciting in particular. So as you mentioned, Mandy, uh, Mitsubishi has detailed its model plans for the next five years, uh, which includes 16 new models or variants. Now, nine of these will have a hybrid or fully electric drivetrain, and some of them will be coming to Australia, which is the key point of why I'm talking about it. Uh, the most notable of these 16 vehicles is called or referred to as the Pickup BEV, or if you understand the acronyms, it's essentially an electric ute. So, um, extremely exciting. So, um, in this uh, teaser image that Mitsubishi put up as part of a presentation, this um, electric ute sits uh, beside a covered version of the next generation Triton, um, which is listed as just a pickup in that specific teaser image. Now, it's, um, it's unclear if this uh, new uh, Mitsubishi electric ute will be a variant of the next-gen Triton or if it will be a distinct model uh, with different underpinnings. We don't know at this stage. Um, we also don't know uh, when the the electric ute will launch, but we do know it'll be uh, won't be before twenty twenty five, because it wasn't on um, a separate slide detailing the vehicle launch calendar um, from now until twenty twenty five. So it's going to be after that date. Um, in addition, um, Mitsubishi announced that the electrified vehicles, meaning obviously hybrids, plug-in hybrids and electric vehicles, will account for 50% of global sales by 2030 and all sales by 2035. So they're going all electrified. Now, uh, what are your thoughts on this potential electric Triton? Um, it's a, it's an interesting proposition. And um, looking at these uh, covered preview images, I've noticed that the pickup BEV and the pickup aren't necessarily exactly the same car because their silhouettes are slightly different. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know whether that's just down to the body package that's on these cars because the the combustion one seems to have like roof uh, roof racks in a sailplane and whatever. So I don't know whether it's just design on, you know, a high-end lifestyle version versus a more conventionally styled electric one. But it's, it's really good to see that, you know, Mitsubishi is putting out what we can expect from them because historically they're just – the company's just been really good at having models that last for like two decades because <laughs> you look at all of their their existing lineup with the exception of the Outlander is all based on aging underpinnings. So um, it'll be good to see now um, that Mitsubishi, as part of the Nissan, Renault Nissan Alliance, um, Mitsubishi sort of tasked with um, doing some of the more um, developing markets and more affordable vehicles. So you'll see them focusing more on places like Thailand and, and those parts of Asia Pacific um, and then some more of the compact vehicles this xfc concept that suv we're not sure whether that'll be like a spiritual successor to the current asx given the asx in europe is now going to be a renault captor and you can also see that they've got the cult coming back which will be um, a rebadged renault clio Uh, and then there's a few uh k cars and um you know sort of like those people movery vehicles that they currently produce that are targeted at um, developing markets and and Southeast Asia. Yeah, I don't know. Mitsubishi is a funny brand and I think they have quite a lot of history um, in not just Australia but globally and it's been a bit sad the last few years to see them 
uh, fall away from like their motorsport heritage and the days of the Lancer and the Evo. So I'm hoping that, you know, with a little bit more investment, um, courtesy of their partnership with Renault and Nissan um, and, you know, this new strategy that with um, some of these upcoming models that we'll see them get their mojo back a little bit because even their current product, like you look at their latest Outlander, Eclipse Cross, even the Triton, they're all still fundamentally good vehicles, um, but they're just getting really old well not the outlander but the other ones are starting to get really old so you know a new a new asx for example i imagine would do really well for them because the current one's like i was pretty sure i was in primary school when the first asx came out <laughs> and i'm old so <laughs> it'd be good to just see them refresh some of those cars but yeah exciting times hopefully they can bring it all to market and be successful and I gotta love whenever a company releases a product uh, uh, roadmap, uh, because in addition to that uh, image with all the cars covered in sheets, they've also put out this graph um, that shows when they're introducing which vehicle when. Um, and there is a mention of a three-row SUV that appears to be distinct from the Pajero Sport. Uh, so that's very interesting, mm. suggesting potentially something to slot in above the Outlander. Mitsubishi has had an SUV in that space in the past, but not. I mean, not really in Australia. I mean, unless you count the Pajero, they had the Endeavor um, in the North American market for quite a while, but it didn't have three rows from memory. Uh, this is an odd tangent. I don't know. <laughs> you're, you're talking out loud, thinking out loud. Yes, I'm, I'm thinking out loud. But, you know, I, I do this whenever I see these product roadmaps. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. What could this be? Where could this slot in? Uh, so looks like some exciting times ahead for Mitsubishi. It's certainly a fun guessing game. That wraps up this week's car news. Carexpert.com today. You can click the news link for more. Thank you, Jack Quick. Thanks, Mandy. To talk about this week's car review on the podcast, we've got Tony Crawford coming on to talk about the Tesla Model Y SUV. He hasn't spent too much time behind the wheel, but no doubt he's got a lot to talk about. Hello, Crawford. Tell us all about your time behind the wheel. Well, you're right, Mandy. I've only had a couple of hours in the uh, Model Y performance. And if anyone wants to know what that is, it well, it's a high-performance Model Y. And I, when I say high-performance, I do mean seriously high-performance. Try naught to 100 in this SUV in 3.7 seconds, 250Ks an hour speed, top speed, and a range of 514Ks. That's amazingly impressive for a car that you can drive away. Uh, this particular car is specced with various um, options, and it's a drive-away price of one hundred and eleven three zero six, and or or and that becomes actually with incentives that the government has in several different. Um, uh, they apply to differently in different states, but they basically make the car about one hundred and five thousand. Uh, after um, after cost savings, uh, which is what Tesla told me this morning when I picked the car up. So there was a, a massive. Um, you sit in the car and you, as you would as a purchaser, um, you need about three days in this car to work out the technology. We had about twenty minutes, so um, you can appreciate, um, you know, my level of understanding of this vehicle. It's an absolute techno fest, um, but I think the biggest thing. Uh, that I had uh, preconceived with this vehicle, like the Model 3. In fact, um, I drove in Ben, uh, one of our um, uh, guys that works in the office in Sydney. He bought a Model 3 and a Model Y. Uh, he since sold them because of the charging infrastructure. 
just a short trip was all it took for his wife to say no more. Um, and he's given up the ghost on that until the infrastructure has improved. And I doubt and, and I dare say there's probably a lot of people um, that are in that same boat, perhaps those that want to do a you know a three or four hour drive away on the weekends, they find it quite hard. The charging location in this particular instance, going north of Sydney, was in a random field somewhere uh, with not a lot of etiquette in terms of who gets to choose when they charge the car. And of course, it was uh, one not working, and it was a disaster. Um, however, driving the Model Y for the first time in my life, um, what I noticed massively was. It actually has a decent ride. And I read one of Will Stopford's new, uh, recent news articles to say that the um, Model Y performance specifically had already received this comfort suspension upgrade. And I can tell you now that it absolutely works because uh, I drove over all manner of bumps uh, from Sydney Central City uh, where Tesla is based in Alexandria to my house on the northern beaches in Sydney. And we have the uh, potpourri of, of poor road surfaces and potholes and all that. And I was incredibly surprised. And I'd have to say this this Model Y performance is actually exceptionally comfortable. Um, uh, and you put that with the seats. The seats are amazingly comfortable. Uh, there are endless adjustments for everything in this vehicle. But really surprised. Now, did I use the 3.7 naught to 100? Not really because it started to pour as the moment I left uh, Tesla's service headquarters in Sydney. And um, so I took it a bit easy until it started to dry out about 20 minutes into the journey back home, um, in which case um, it is horrendously fast. I didn't floor it, nor did I choose the, um, the complete uh, maniac uh, mode that you can use on this vehicle. Um, but, yeah, I've got a different take on Tesla with given the suspension because I found the suspension previously almost impossible to, uh, to live with. Um, and, and I told that to Ben. I was sitting in the back seat when he was taking the Model 3 for a test drive, and I, I, I basically couldn't live with a car like that. But whatever they've done to this vehicle, and it does have some sophisticated suspension front and rear, uh, five link at the rear, I think, and uh, wish double wishbone at the front. Uh, and I was, I didn't understand how you could make a car ride that poorly uh, as the Model Three did. And I was told the Model Y did as well. But the Model Y performance, getting this upgrade, it's a different vehicle. Um, so I would be, uh, I would, uh, if anyone's sort of holding back on 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 Tesla, um, particularly the Model Y performance for fear of that it might have that bone jarring suspension setup that it had previously. Think again because I'd go down and test drive it again because it's pretty damn good. So you mentioned that you didn't think you could live with uh, a Tesla Model 3 or Model Y with the suspension the way it was. But another part of, uh, I guess, the Tesla experience that has a learning curve is the technology inside the car. Uh, the fact that there's no digital instrument cluster or head-up display that you have to look over to the screen. And obviously the tech is unlike really any other car in the market. Do you think, based on your experience with the vehicle so far and with Teslas previously, that you could um, live with one as a daily? Yes, I could. Short answer. Um, um, there are some things that I don't like. I don't like the fact that it doesn't have CarPlay. In fact, it was my first question, where's CarPlay? Oh, it doesn't have it. Um, but it has everything anyway um, uh, based on your phone pairing uh, with the Tesla app. So you need to download the Tesla app 
and you need to be on profile and you can basically do anything you want. So I was basically just hitting a button on the steering wheel. Uh, and you got to remember, the steering wheel is very um, sparsely populated with only two scrolling dials there that you can move left or right. And the scroll button means that, for instance, if you're changing the mirrors, the external mirrors, you can uh, scroll up to move it left or right or back and forth. Um, it takes a little bit of getting used to, but then again, it's quite intuitive as well at the same time. If I can, I know that sounds a bit weird, but that's how it feels. And yeah, Will's right. The technology is mental. Um, I mean, once you pair up to that Tesla app, everything, I mean, I just got out of the car rushing to this podcast, <laughs> I might add. And, um, of course, you don't have to worry about locking the car. You, as long as you've got the key card, which is a little credit card in your pocket, um, and you've got your phone on you, you just walk away and it locks itself. Now, other cars do that too, but it's just one tiny feature. The screen, 15-inch screen, is absolutely massive. And and 15-inch is a big screen anyway, but this is like almost 15 inches in depth and length. Um, it's, it's, it's enormous. And do um, having not, have a, not having a digital instrument cluster in front, that, um, believe it or not, um, that big screen has a tiny little speed uh, indicator, digital speed indicator on the right-hand side uh, margin, if you like. And that's where you're basically looking. And I actually found it, incredibly intuitive, which I didn't think I would. Uh, does it mean I like it? No. Um, I, I prefer a digital screen in front of me or a head-up display. And, of course, Tesla still doesn't have a head-up display, which I find that's amazing, really. Um, but then again, looking at this little screen, I didn't struggle or, or you know, uh, worry about not seeing the speed. So I'm seeing everything just out of the corner of my eye. So... Yeah, I mean, all that technology, um, Spotify, I said, you know, can you please play, I just said play Fleetwood Mac after you press the scroll button on the steering wheel and then it basically does it. So you don't need to say, hey, Siri, because you're not using CarPlay, obviously. Um, so in, that, in those sort of, that sort of technology, actually, I could see how you could get used to it really, really quickly. And, you know, the, the air conditioning system was blowing really cold air. It was quite chilly in Sydney today at 22. And I just said, I pressed the scroll button and I just said, I'm cold. And then instantly I've got warmer air coming out. I mean, that kind of technology is pretty impressive, right? And I guess you would, as, as long as I did, however, try and call my wife, uh, and it obviously hadn't synced the uh, contact, so I couldn't do that. So then I had to revert back to Siri. So I'm kind of using CarPlay and and the Apple system at the same time. But, look, you know, you live with this car for at least a couple of days or even a couple of hours to sit in the car and play with all the tech. You're going to be au fait with it pretty damn quickly. So I don't see that as an issue. It's comfortable. It steers really well. I've got to say, back to the dynamics of this vehicle, um, it is a fast, a very fast car, um, and the steering is really, really accurate. I really found it quite natural to drive, which I didn't think I would. Um, the, the Model 3, I felt a little bit remote the last time I drove it, about six months ago. So this was a pleasant surprise. And um, um, all-wheel drive, of course, with this vehicle, having front and rear electric motors, um, there was no slipperiness in, in the wet weather. Uh, no spinning wheels, of course, even with the enormous performance that this vehicle has. Um, so I found the, the car to drive really quite surprising. And 
I was really surprised at how um, how quick I took to it. Um, I think, uh, and I, I suggest that other people would would find the same. Um, and I guess the comfort and the space. I mean, you do. I mean, this is relatively. It's not a big SUV by any stretch, but it has enormous amount of space. No. No matter where you look, whether it's up front in the footwells, whether it's the rear seat, it's like a limo in the rear seat. And the luggage space is literally, you've never seen anything like it. It's a freaking bedroom back there. Um, and the seats fold dead flat through buttons uh, in the um, in the boot area, but you do have to manually prop them back up. Uh, and then they can recline as well. Um, so, yeah, um, uh, first impressions are really, really strong. Um, I think we need to do more of these Tony Crawford first impression reviews <laughs> because I just love just whatever is in your brain is just blurted out straight away because you've just literally got out of the car. I think we need to do this more often. But in the meantime, you can head to carexpert.com.au and search Tesla Model Y to find out more. Thank you so much, Tony Crawford. Thanks, Mandy. Um, it was a pleasure and um, the review has to be done by, uh, I, I believe it goes live Friday morning, very early in the morning. Uh, so I've got to get on the case now, shoot it at 3 o'clock this afternoon. It has been raining, so expect a few water drops on the car when you see the pics online on carexpert.com.au. That's a wrap for this week's Car Expert podcast. So we've got some um, int- a mixed bag of cars coming up next week, Jay, we're in the garage. Yeah, given the team keeps on growing, I'm constantly having to book more and more vehicles, and as, as launches come back as well, we've got quite a few things going on. So um, this week we've got um, two X-Trails, Nissan X-Trails. We've got a, an STL four-wheel drive, seven-seat petrol, um, as well as a TIL e-power with e-force. <laughs> we've got the new Hyundai Ioniq 6 um before the launch. Can't tell you much about it until they reschedule the embargo because I was meant to be going to the event next week, but um, some shipping delays has meant that not the full range will be available to drive um, on the original dates. So they're getting back to me with a revised event time and embargo. So I don't know when we're going to be able to tell you about it yet. Um, We've got a Honda Civic VTI LX, Mazda 3, G25, Astina Hatch, and Volkswagen Golf Life, which we've pulled together for a three-way sort of premium mainstream small car comparison. I know a lot of our comparisons of late have been focused on SUVs, utes and um, electric vehicles because they're the buzzwords of the moment. But, um, you know, a lot of people still buy normal cars and perhaps want something that's a bit more compact and city friendly, but want something that feels a bit premium, but aren't willing to stretch to a premium brand. So um, when I managed to get all these cars together, um, I thought, why not? So Scott and I will probably be doing a bit of work on that. Uh, We have also got... um, um, the brand new BMW X7 xDrive 40D, um, the freshly facelifted one, which we've been trying to get for a while. So keen to see what that's like. Um, and then in Sydney, we've got a BMW 230i Coupe, a Hilux, Toyota Hilux Rogue, a Tesla Model Y Performance, which Crawl has just um, spoken about today. And that's pretty much it because Albors doesn't tell me what he books. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Will's in Melbourne at the moment from Brisbane, so there's no one else there to drive them. And this is why the calendar is not up to date for Brisbane because I'm not up there. Um, 
Uh, speaking of the calendar, looking at events this week, Scott is away up in Brisbane, actually, I think, oh. uh, in a little bit of a swap, driving the 2023 Chevrolet Silverado range. Uh, so you'll recall he just published his review recently on the outgoing model. Um, this is a pretty substantial midlife update for the truck. Uh, so we be very keen to hear his thoughts about it. Uh, from, from what we've seen in, in images, the interior is dramatically overhauled. Um, that was probably the weak spot of, of the current car. Um, so, yeah, uh, that review will be coming soon to the website. Good stuff. All right. Uh, James Wong and Williams Topford, thank you. Thanks, Mandy. Thanks, Mandy, and drive safe. <laughs>